This is Lex Kibernetica, the cyber law podcast by the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Lex Kibernetica. We hear a lot about AI and how it's going to change our lives or even destroy them. What we're going to talk about today is the legal aspects of artificial intelligence, and that we will discuss with our guest. My name is Karen Eltis. I'm a law professor at the University of Ottawa. How is AI changing or should be changing uh, the legal framework uh, in which we uh, live? Essentially, the law has always been anchored in territory or has been such uh, for uh, the past few hundred years and um, has been linked to borders. Cyberspace and the Internet more generally uh, knows very few borders. And so that challenges the current paradigm. Uh, the other significant change is that of governance. We have borderless platforms that uh, are now responsible uh, for quite a bit of communications and have, to some extent, done away with intermediaries. So you can think about the whole peer-to-peer movement. Uh, cryptocurrencies, uh, we don't need the banks. Uh, social media, we don't need editors, uh, newspapers, and so on to communicate. And that poses a significant challenge for regulations, for institutions, and certainly uh, for democratic governance. And AI itself presents another problem, which is a new entity where we don't really know who's responsible because a computer, in a sense, is making its own decisions based on algorithms, but still independent decisions. So I'd like to dispel a few myths, and, and I'm going to paraphrase Noah Harari, who said recently, I'm not really concerned as much about the machines or about AI, but about the humans behind them and about abdicating responsibility. So if we limit ourselves to machine learning and, and AI, it's really noticing that it's not the machines necessarily acting independently. Yes, they are have a certain capability and will acquire a greater capability in the future. But it's like the Wizard of Oz and the man behind the curtain. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. The greatest Oz has spoken. Uh, AI really is data in, data out. So it's really the humans that tell the AI what to do. And the concern is we're able to hide behind the AI and say, oh, well, it's it's not our fault that there are racist results. It's not our fault that there are perhaps gender-based results. It's, it's the machine that's giving us these results. But in fact, the machine is giving us what we have taught it. And transparency is a major and significant issue, oversight of those humans who are hiding, so to speak, behind the AI. Can't we just say very simply... If you made the algorithm, you're responsible for what the algorithm did and then take it back to traditional laws? It's more complex than that. And there's a question of authority, right? It's a basic principle that you need authority uh, to accomplish certain acts. And and the question is, what authority do uh, these new agents who don't even want, in the end, the platforms don't want to be stuck with that responsibility uh, where is the authority to regulate freedom of expression, right? Where does it come from? There was a whole debate, and there still is a debate throughout the world, the question of judicial activism, and people are concerned, where do these judges get the mandate? Well, where do the platforms get the mandate? Where does the algorithm created by a few computer scientists, who we can't trace, you mentioned tracing back to, the responsibility is not as simple as tracing it back to the programmer. There are a few uh, steps and the question of the accumulated knowledge from data sets. So 
<laughs> if we're, so even if we're people so who are who are collecting the data are um, responsible for how the algorithms work. It's like raising a child in a way, <laughs> but even parental <laughs> responsibility is limited, right? You can't say it's all true, but but there needs to be oversight. There needs to be accountability. Uh, there needs to be democratic legitimacy. There was a fear, I think, uh, because technology was this unknown, right? So a certain fear amongst traditional policymakers, uh, and so they've abdicated. They said, you know, we don't really know how to make this work, uh, this notion that the internet was a wild west, so you guys take care of it. But you guys take care of it is not democratic legitimacy. And in fact, if we think of the most obvious example, the European Court of Justice decision in Costeja, the so-called right to be forgotten, where the European court was so concerned about platforms having too much power that the court inadvertently gave it all the more powerful. It gave it you know, very vague criteria and said, you know what? You're the court now. You, you, you tell people if they can be forgotten or not. Yes, which which makes me laugh in a way because for so many years, people were so concerned about judicial activism, but these are uh, judges who have authority, who uh, uh, you can appeal from, uh, whose decisions are transparent, who have been trained, who need to write reasons. AI doesn't need to write reasons. It's like, okay, you guys solve these questions that we've been grappling with for, for at least, you know, in modern democracies, uh, uh, since the Second World War, y you guys just solve it. Where are the reasons, right? Where is the appeal? Uh, where is the mechanism? Do we just so we took the, the technology from being like a Wild West where everything's allowed to uh, being some kind of magic and there are only specific like magicians who can make it better and we don't take responsibility as citizens, as uh, politicians, as journalists. We're just telling those companies you solve this. You made this mess. You solve it. Exactly. And, and it's a problem for, for democracy, uh, for civil society. And, and by the way, platforms and their leadership is knowledgeable in terms of uh, technology and, 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 and computer science, uh, but they're not moral ethicists or, 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 or jurists and the like. And we have delegated these tasks in society to established institutions. Uh, uh, we cannot take them away, nor do these uh, companies want to uh, be stuck for lack of a better word, uh, with those tasks. It's really important, and I know- But they choose which tasks they want. It's not that they don't want any control. They want the control that they um, uh, wish to to apply. I think as a society, we've shifted from, you know, this is great, we can all speak now, which which is great, uh, and we shouldn't put any uh, uh, frames or any restraints, uh, whereas we know in the brick and mortar world, there need to be restraints or else society can't function without violence, to, oh my goodness, what have we done? Uh, people are broadcasting acts of violence. Uh, there's incitement to violence that is uh, giving rise to physical violence. We got to stop this. But our, 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 our prise de conscience, as we say in France, in, our, realis in French, our realization that it's a problem has led us, rather than taking responsibility, to say, you guys fix it. And the platforms uh, have gone from an American approach a First Amendment, we're not going to suppress any speech, which they have now realized, and that's a sigh of relief that is not viable in our society, as most societies have realized. Um, but in terms of applying limitations, it, it's gone to somewhere where you have uneven and ad hoc, uh, as I say, through the use of AI, uh, application of restraints on speech, where I have examples from 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 here uh, 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 until, until uh, the time that you have of um, uh, you know, pictures of, of female bodies being removed, but not pictures of male bodies, of uh, a terrible uh, incitement to domestic violence uh, uh, being allowed in, in a 
uh, a guidebook that the Guardian has uncovered of what the algorithms or or or, or minimum wage workers are supposed to do. And uh, my 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 doctoral student sort of making an innocuous comment. I think it was, and she did it on an experimental basis. She said men suck, and all of a sudden, all her accounts were closed down. Uh, I don't know if if you know the U.S. Supreme Court would agree that that's a clear and present danger. Which, by the way, we need to reevaluate imminency on the internet. Uh, this notion of shouting fire, the American doctrine uh, on the internet, shouting fire in a crowded uh, yeah, theater. because well, and and the question of of imminence of violence, because on the internet, uh, and this is, comes up in statute of limitations discussions. Uh, on the internet, you could just review things like over and over and over again. And and you know what 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 happens as well is that the internet, to put it simply, robs speech of its context. Speech is contextual. Speech is cultural. That's why having AI and so AI is cultural, right? It comes from the culture that it was bred in, uh, and we see that with you know the very simple examples of of one algorithm mistaking a human for an animal uh, uh, because of the color of their skin, or or saying you know a woman has to be a nurse and a, and a man will be a physician. And for us to understand incitement to genocide, for example, we have to know what the culture in question is. Otherwise, we don't know what kind of speech provides an imminent danger and what kind of speech does. So you can't have this uneven, okay, shut this down, put this back up, take this down. This is a very delicate task that constitutional court judges have struggled with for ages. Uh, we can't expect, uh, nor should we, AI to do it. So, so it's our decisions. It's as a panelist was saying earlier, a computer scientist, she's saying, you know, guys, we, we make the machines, but you guys decide what to do with it. It's the humans behind AI in the end. Humans take responsibility. Thank you very much, Professor Karen Eltis. Thank you. As AI affects more and more aspects of our life, it's a good time to ask, how do we control AI? For that, we have our guest. Owen Goals. Irvin Younger, professor uh, of law at the University of Minnesota Law School. And we will talk about the way we humans uh, control the AI, not letting it control us, uh, preferably. So what is meaningful human control? Really, it's, it's three different questions all, all bundled up in one. There's the question of um, do uh, and to what extent do humans uh, control and maintain control over AI? To what extent could humans uh, maintain control over AIs? And to what extent should humans uh, maintain control over AIs? Um, and we can pursue this in several, uh, in several directions. Uh, one question is the question of level of human control. Uh, that is, to what extent humans should be in the loop, on the loop, or maybe outside uh, the loop. Just to give one example of an area that I'm uh, greatly focused on, which is the laws of war, uh, should a human being actually activate a weapon, select the target, and tell the weapon to fire? That will be the human in the loop. Human on the loop would be the weapon uh, uh, finds the target and, and then engages the target, but the human has a veto power or a, um, a suspension or override power over the weapon. And human out of the loop, as the name itself suggests, means that the weapon does it all by itself and the humans are not involved. The second question is, what is it exactly that we want to be regulated? What is it exactly that we look at when we say something is autonomous? Um, and the level of autonomy that we uh, relate to AIs uh, basically can be seen on a spectrum uh, from something that is automated uh, to something that is partially autonomous, semi-autonomous, fully autonomous. At what point in the spectrum? Do you want to say humans should regulate? To what extent, again, 
do humans regulate, if we're talking about something that is fully autonomous, then by definition, right, humans are not interfering in what uh, that machine uh, is doing. There are various uh, definitions to what autonomy in this context means. It doesn't mean autonomy in the sense of moral agency, uh, but nobody can actually agree on what autonomy for an AI actually uh, means. Again, let me let me give a concrete example, uh, and and again let me let, let me take it from the weapon system uh, um, uh, scenario. One definition of autonomy would be that once a weapon is activated, then that weapon can select and engage targets without further further intervention by a human operator. If that's the definition of autonomy, then that also includes. Uh, weapons in which the human being is on the loop, as we uh, said earlier. If, on the other hand, you're saying, "Well, uh, 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 an autonomous weapon is only an autonomous is only autonomous when it, independently of any human being intervention, selects and engages the target," right? then you actually talk about autonomy in a narrower sense. Only when human beings are out of the loop do you talk about autonomy. So, for question of regulation. Do you regulate the first type of weapons or do you only regulate the second type of weapons? Right? That's a question of regulation that is uh, critical for our understanding of what needs to be regulated. Let's assume that we know what it is that we want to regulate. At what point do we need uh, human intervention to be meaningful? Uh, is it at the point of designing a system? Is it at the point of programming a system? Is it at the point of developing a system? Is it at the point of training a system? At the point of uh, deciding to deploy an AI, whatever the context, whatever the circumstances may be? Um, is it a question of real-time supervision over what the AI is doing? Um, is it uh, an appropriate training to the human operators? All of these are questions that we need to address in order to figure out whether or not something is meaningful. Do we want to live in a society where software is given the ability and the right and the job of making decisions that might be life-changing, life-threatening? Where is humanity going in that sense? The first thing that I would say is we're already moving in that direction in many areas in which more and more uh, elements of AI are taking over what used to be uh, the realm of human decision-making. Uh, and that's not necessarily, again, as I said, that's not necessarily a bad thing. The second point is, of course, when people talk about AI, there are two visions that people see. If we're looking at the apocalyptic vision of Skynet or Terminator, even there you need to think which of the Terminator movies are you talking about because Terminator actually becomes a good robot at, you know, uh, towards the end of the series. Wash day tomorrow. Nothing clean, right? Nothing clean. Right. Your clothes. Give them to me. Now. You won't be needing any clothes. Then the answer is yes. We absolutely do not want to lose our humanity and to give machines decision-making power. If we are thinking about R2-D2... We seem to be made to suffer. It's our lot in life. As machines that will be complementary to uh, human beings that might take away uh, uh, some or may, may um, free us from some sorts of decision-making and free us to make some other, maybe higher level, 
more abstract level of decision making, that's n- that's not necessarily a bad thing. What can we learn from what we learned about AI and how to control it? What can we learn about humans or well, our interaction? The first thing is, I would say we are very much in the infancy of AI. So I, I suspect that if uh, we have this conversation in a few years, uh, everything that we have said uh, uh, to this point would be seen as archaic and almost uh, caveman-like. Um, there is the question uh, that ethicists and lawyers and and computer scientists and roboticists need to address and are addressing now, and that is the question of control. And to what extent should we maintain control and to what extent are we happy with ceding control to the machine? Now, of course, the machines that we see now are rudimentary, right? And and they would not be the machines of tomorrow. Will we even have a choice in giving or not giving them autonomy? Well, that is, of course, a great question. And we don't know, right? Because if you think about concepts such as deep machine learning, right? Machines that teach themselves um, and are independent. You basically start them off um, the, the path uh, of learning, but they then go out and collect data and from that data extrapolate information and knowledge and come to their own conclusions. Once you let those machines do this, right, they're out of your hands. They're out of your control. Yes, we are seeding. We are delegating more and more decision-making powers to the Roombas, to the uh, uh, robots that work in healthcare, to the robots that ha- that work in warehouses. That to the ro- personal assistants in our phone. To the personal assistants in our phone. So, you know, the question is whether and to what extent, again, we want to be apocalyptic about the view of the future or to what extent we want to embrace this and say, we should harness this and we should harness this to the good. Professor Oren Gross, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Ido. Is your fridge running? You better hurry and catch it then before it becomes sentient. As our electronic devices, not just the gadgety ones, but also the old-fashioned ones, your fridge, your vacuum cleaner, your personal assistant become connected and so-called smart. What does it mean for product liability and legal liability at large? Hi, my name is Omri Rachuntueg. I'm a PhD uh, for law from Tel Aviv University and currently a research fellow at the Federman Cybersecurity Center at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. And your research deals with the liability in AI-driven machines and... Robots. Uh, the paper and the research focus uh, on the aspects in which artificial intelligence and specifically artificial intelligence-based robots disrupt the legal framework, disrupt private law legal liability, such as tort law, mainly uh, tort law. And when AI comes into the picture, it makes a big mess for law as we know it. What is the main difference between liability of a stupid machine and the liability of an AI-enabled so-called smart machine. When we're talking about liability for machines or products, right, basically products, we're talking about liability for physical items that we know where they are in the physical space. We know how they look like. And we can compare them to comparable other available off-the-shelf consumer products. Basically, we're talking about an interrelation between consumers, right, users, and manufacturers. When AI, right, the, the smartness, right, when, when intelligence is infused into these products, some of these features, some of these parameters become very difficult to assess, very difficult to conceive of, very difficult to, uh, to compare. The independent intelligence makes it very difficult for us to assume that a human agent 
is behind certain acts or behaviors of the product, bot, machine. And in this sense, we're posed with a very significant question. When and to what extent can we attribute harms caused by behavior of this independent intelligence that is not embedded in a human being to that human being? So the question is, how autonomous is the autonomous car, for example? Right. And my first presumption in the paper is that when I'm referring to AI-based robots, I'm talking about actual autonomous devices and not what Professor Jonathan Titrain defined as autonomish <laughs> products. But if we're talking about real AI, fully autonomous devices, the concept of agency becomes a real challenge to the legal sphere. And without agency, it would be very, very difficult to assume legal liability, to impose legal liability on human actors. So because we had two sides, the manufacturer and the user, the end user, and they were both autonomous. And now we have a third autonomous entity, which is the product itself. Exactly. And we need to ask ourselves who's to blame, right? Who bears liability for this newly introduced autonomous agent? And to the extent that we're still not in a regime where robots may have their own legal accountability, and maybe we'll have such a regime in the future, we have to ask ourselves which human is to blame, right? Which human bears uh, liability? A second feature, which is no less important, is what I described as the foreseeability factor. The concept of foreseeability is highly embedded in our uh, legal conceptions of what tort law is. We basically, and I think naturally also, assume that we can only impose liability on human beings for acts that they could reasonably foresee their outcomes, right? And if it's beyond our, you know, human capabilities to expect, to foresee, to fully understand what outcomes will certain acts yield, then it starts, you know, feeling a little unfair, right, to impose liability. We usually think about blameworthiness, about, you know, the capability of, of, of understanding what we're doing. And for that, we need foreseeability. And foreseeability, the concept of foreseeability is embedded in various tort doctrines. When we're talking about traditional products, the concept of foreseeability is relatively established. When proper, fully autonomous machine learning based AI is introduced, even the designer, the operator, the manufacturer are in many cases unable to foresee the full outcomes of the behavior of the machine. And this is due to the nature of machine learning, the technological concept of what AI means. So we're talking about a black box that does something that maybe the programmer knows or can expect and we cannot, and it's something that's ever-changing and ever-evolving. That's true, and, when, and it's good that you're referring to the programmer because the, you know, the basic saying for, uh, about machine learning, the new era of machine learning, is where the program becomes the programmer, right? And if the program becomes the programmer, then the programmer, the original human programmer, becomes incapable of... He's out of the loop. He's out of the loop. It's not only the interrelations between the programmer, the designer, and the robot, rather also interactions between robots and other robots. They learn from each other. They learn from previous experiences of other robots. And this, you know, multiplies, right, the amount of inexplicability or, or unforeseeability with respect to the machine learning process. And what is the general concept of how scholars are suggesting to deal with this problem? acknowledging that there should be a legal entity of robots, right? And this is potentially possible, although it would take quite a while to get there. But other approaches talk about perhaps establishing regulatory authorities that would regulate the process 
of machine learning and AI, we have to understand that if we impose enough embedded duties or restrictions on the machine learning process, we're necessarily limiting the capabilities of what machine learning is. So it's kind of a binary uh, question. Either we dictate, you know, predetermined rules, how a robot should behave, or we submit to this new technology of machine learning. And to the extent that we believe that it's socially desirable, right, to have machine learning technology and it, you know, this is amazing technology. It seems unrealistic to impose these ground rules on robots. And there's a new recent research that is not talking about the liability itself, rather on what type of remedies can we impose. And when we're talking about remedies, only remedies, what type of, you know, sanctions we can impose, we can discuss about remedies for the robots themselves without being uh, legal agents, right? Think about a robot death penalty, right? We can think about circumstances in which a robot should be shut down, for example, and this is a research by Mark Lemley and, and Brian Casey from, from Stanford. We can think uh, about circumstances that justify killing a robot, right? Shutting down uh, a robot. So it could be a specific robot. It could be a line of robots. And for this, we don't really need to impose liability on the manufacturer. We can just decide as, you know, as a society that, the, you know, we're not interested in this type of robots anymore and, and ban them. And it doesn't require us to impose any liability on the human agents or discuss whether or not they are responsible. We can just, you know, make the decision. I suggest is setting specific mandatory requirements from certain human agents, right? Operators or distributors or manufacturers that if they meet them, they enjoy some kind of immunability from legal sanctions. And if they don't, then it would be easier for us to impose liability for the actual actions of the robots. And just as an example, we can think about, for example, ongoing monitoring. We can think about employing in the robots themselves emergency brakes, right? Shutdown buttons. So allowing the user to dumb down the robot, to disable its independent intelligence. Dr. Omriya Khumtweg, thank you very much. Thank you. I enjoyed it very much. This was Lex Kibernetica. Lex Kibernetica. More episodes are available at the Hebrew University Cybersecurity Research Center site at csrcl.huji.ac.il.